0: Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful Kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry.
1: Alright, welcome to the class in Romans and today we deal with Romans chapter 16. The chapter just the the reason behind chapter sixteen is itself an interesting discussion, because Paul has this long list of names. The names themselves of interest the people that you know echo from Acts and other places in Paul's letters. But why you know why has Paul given us this? And the Paul has not been to Rome. Five house churches seem to be represented within these names, perhaps. Because he's not known, it's precisely that he sends this long list, uh, that he's going to name these connections, and by naming them, draw these people together. Uh, in letters like Corinthians, he just sends greetings from those with him. But here, Witherington supposes that Paul is mentioning these people in, in the way that he does to try to bring about a unity. But it may be that, you know, as with the church at Corinth, he doesn't name people, uh, because if he named one, he'd have to name everybody, but here he really doesn't, in spite of the many names that he has, he's largely unknown, and yet he wants to to demonstrate his connectedness. Naming those that he's familiar with, that maybe that were expelled from Rome under the persecution under Claudius, by naming these people, and apparently having Phoebe, who uh, is carrying the letter, Paul calls her a minister of the assembly, so apparently she's Bringing the letter from Syncrea, which was outside of Corinth, may be coming around to read the letter to the various churches. She's going to be Paul's spokesperson there. She, he's going to be maybe even making arrangements for Paul himself to visit. There's a kind of warmth to this, that he does have these warm associations with these people, that in and of itself, this is Wright's point. Uh, I used to think Romans 16 was the most boring chapter in the letter, and now as I study and reflect on the names, I'm struck by how powerfully they illustrate how the teachings of both Jesus and Paul were being worked out in practice. That is, there's great sentiment in Paul's warmth, and when he says greet, that that it is the idea of uh, give them a warm embrace, throw your arms around them, and he he says give them a kiss, you know, at the end, he's trying to bring still, I think, even in the greetings, he's making sure in the manner of his greeting and who he greets that he's uh, drawing together these various people and identifying them as the ecclesia, he uses the term here. And, of course, the the big theological point from Romans 16, maybe Romans 16 in and of itself would be enough to say, clearly women are accepted as equals, Junia as an apostle. There's no question, if you read the history of this, that she is a woman. As Hart puts it, the accusative form of the name Junia, of whom nothing is known, but whose sex was uncontentiously acknowledged throughout the patristic period. That is, there's no question that this is a woman. She's a woman apostle. Now what you can discuss, you know, what does that mean that she's an apostle? There's various understandings, but whatever you take on it, clearly she's a leader. Apostle here may mean she's one of the original chosen, you know, that are sent out, that she's a witness of the resurrection. She's probably Palestinian and Jewish. That Clearly, historically, there's no question that she is female. There's no such thing as uh, the name being associated with a man, though historically that will be attempted, uh, but that's much later on. But those who are eager to maintain some sort of harbor for misogyny are going to try to to take away from that. And he regards her and the other women, the fact that a woman is carrying the letter, he regards them as equal leaders. The names Prissa and Aquila, we know that the deep, long history that they have together that he, again, Priscilla or Prissa as she's called, is the apparently named first, and many think that's an indication that she is the the prominent one in the couple. They then are those who give instruction to Apollos, and Paul says they've risked life and limb for me. Greet Mary, you know, you could go through and look at all the times. Paul regards her and the other women. He names, you know, the seven women as He praises them more so than anyone else. I think seven women that he specifically praises, five men that he specifically praises. Overall, he mentions more men, but the women receive the warmest praise. And so the picture here, you know, of the role of women, it's it's a great irony and tragedy, perhaps, that we've reverted back to a misogynistic a reading of the New Testament that simply is not there. And probably even, you know, Rome may have been a place that was less patriarchal than other places. That is that women seem to be allowed a greater latitude in the the society. And that's evident from maybe the role that Paul is able to, he is sending this letter through Phoebe. Phoebe, the discussion there, you know, is she a, a deacon? She is a patron of some kind. She's a leader. She's probably a wealthy woman. She's uh, That is that if she's giving patronage to someone, but she's also then depicted as, as one who is serving others. Paul says she's been a patroness of many, even of, of me. And so she's chosen to carry the letter, it will be the one who works out Paul's instructions. You know, she will probably be the one going around she may have helped pay for, you know, very often the people that are named think of Theophilus in Luke and Acts. She may have helped pay for the materials along with Erastus. Clearly, the women are playing key roles in the churches. I always think uh, in, in terms of a country like Japan, I I'm imagine in some ways it's very similar, that men very often are the least mobile in the sense that their lives are pretty much consumed in their occupations, in their their kind of stifling identity. In spite of the, if you look at Japanese society from the outside, it's obviously very patriarchal. But the strange thing is that women then, and I think the same thing is happening in Rome, that women then are in Japan, and I think in Rome, probably in charge of the household, in charge of the education, in charge of household finances. In Japan, women play the stock market. If we were to draw the the significant theological point, is that women leaders uh, are very much supported here. They're performing missionary work. They're laborers. The picture here that four women are described as laborers, and that this term then is used four times of women in Paul's letters and never for a man uh, here in Romans 16. The names, you know, you can go through in the w- the discussion in the various commentaries. is the significance of the names, that there's freed men and freed women. There are names that are clearly feminine that may not appear so. So I liked what Bart. I, I like his depiction, and we'll close here then with a quote from Karl Bart. The possibility that Tryphena and Triphosa and the other laymen, not to speak and he puts that in quotes. Note, I don't think there was such a thing. Not to speak of the theologians included in the long list. He's saying, I, I think in spite of his using this terminology, his point here is to say there is no division of that kind. Everybody, it is presumed, it would have been able to understand this letter, this, the most significant letter written in the history of the world. There is no one that's excluded, and it's presumed that all will understand it. In other words, there was once a body of men and women to whom the epistle to the Romans could be sent in the confident expectation that it provided an answer to their questions, that somehow or other it would be understood and valued. For this body of men and women, it seems that theology, this theology, was the living theme. In fact, these men and women are more surprising than are the other historical problems raised by the epistle to the Romans. We are, however, not surprised that they were able to salute one another with a holy kiss. I think that gets at the warmth of the the final section here. I I like the picture that, that Hart gives us in the end. Now to him who is able to establish you firmly in accord with my good tidings and the proclamation of Jesus the Anointed, according to a revelation of the mystery held in silence through time's ages, but now made manifest by prophetic scriptures and by the ordination of the God of the ages and made known to all the Gentiles for the purpose of the submission of faith. God alone, wise, through Jesus the anointed, to him be the glory under the ages. Amen. A fitting conclusion to the letter and to our time.
0: forgingplowshares.org